welcome to Season 2 of Son of Brank. Today's episode is my first show with my dad's band. Now, up to this point, I've had very little contact up besides maybe one or two, maybe three members uh, in the uh, decades that I've lived. Um, They were pretty much far removed from me as everything else. I started on the career basically at the ground floor working bars and working my way up to show bands on my own. And a lot of times people didn't want to work with me, so I had to put together my own act, which ended up being, you know, very bookable, even if somebody didn't like me personally, which I guess is a good thing because it meant that I was concentrating on the music. Up to probably that year, um, I had gotten a hold of on the phone, Jules and Larry Ramos. And both Jules told me a story about my dad, which was really great. And Larry asked about, you know, what I was doing in music. And I told him, I, you know, I've been playing in bands. So Larry had asked me to send him a tape of some stuff that I did. And I had about five or six songs that, you know, with a couple of ADATs was able to just play all the parts and sing them all because, you know, I'm not going to hire somebody for something that I wrote and wasn't going to pay money for because I wasn't going to make any money for it. I um, sent him a tape of about five or six songs and he said, oh, this is kind of fun music. You know, I said, yeah, I wrote those. I was kind of proud. He said, what instrument were you playing? I said, well, all of them. And then there was like a pause. Oh, okay. Then I didn't think anything of it. About towards uh, the beginning of Probably three, two months beforehand, which was a December 1998 show. He called me up and asked if I could play bass for the band on a cruise ship. And I, of course, did not turn it down. I thought it was pretty cool, but it also meant missing my daughter's very first Christmas. She was born that year. I think she was too young to remember, so... You know, I I even told her, so it's not like it's a secret. <laughs> so, cut to the chase. I um, didn't really have much to go on, except they gave me a set list. It was probably 45 minutes set, maybe an hour. And there would be an orchestra there. And I was sitting in for Paul Holland, who couldn't make the show. He was usually playing bass. I went down to Hoffman Music, which was... Uh, able to rent me a bass for the week, and it was a very nice Dean bass. I, uh, they've always been very good to me, Hoffman Music, so I never had anything bad to say about them. Um, the show itself uh, seemed to be remarkably easy for me to memorize. I pretty much grew up on the music. I mean, I didn't have lessons. I had to teach myself to play everything, and the stuff that I remembered more in detail than anything else is the stuff my mom would play on an 8-track cartridge in the car. So I got very familiar with a lot of the material and exactly how the parts went. I really didn't have to consult the records. I just knew instantly what all the parts were and um, went back to the records and double-checked and realized that I had a pretty good memory. I actually do when it comes to music. More on that in some other show. So my very first show with the band actually uh, was sight unseen until they actually met me going onto the cruise ship. I got tickets on the mail. Their uh, travel agent, Judy, who's always done a good job for the band, she set it up for me. And I got there the night before into Miami and stayed at uh, Radisson, I think. Um, It was a very nice hotel in Miami. There was a limo driver waiting for me at the airport with my name. 
And he was pretty much thinking like, uh, I must be one of those guys who just always travels and is always looking for action. So he said anything that I could get, he'll get for me. And, you know, I don't drink. I don't smoke. I'm, I'm not going to fool around. I don't gamble. I mean, what, what there was there? I said, where's their good ribs? And Well, right next to the hotel, right there. This place has great ribs. And, oh, okay. Uh, but what else do you want? You want some action? What, what do you want? I could get anything. And I'm like, anything? He's like, anything. So I, I, I look in my imagination said, I want the finger from Vincent Price. And without blinking, he said, with or without a ring. So the next morning at the hotel, I have not met or heard from anybody yet. They just assumed I was there. They heard I checked in. And I was down in the lobby earlier than our meet time. And I was over there in the corner just kind of sitting with, you know, I had these new glasses I had to get from real cheap ones. It's my first time actually wearing glasses. My eyesight was pretty good up until my mid-30s. So um, I, I just sat there observing those guys, and they were starting to congregate, and I pretty much knew who they were. They were carrying guitars, and it was basically, uh, well, have you seen him? No. He's, I heard he checked in. He was around here or something. And then Russ started to say something. I think he spotted me, but didn't realize who I was. And so he said something about, you know, I hate those stupid guys who wear those round glasses like that, those wire grass. They're so stupid. You know, if you've met Russ, you know what I'm talking about. He can do that. I didn't read his reaction when he figured out I was him. Um, when the ride showed up, I got up, picked up my guitar, and then everybody introduced themselves to me. And I just kind of sat quietly and watched everything. Yeah, I ended up rooming with uh, Bruce, who was the drummer, and Bruce was pretty cool about it, but I think he kind of thought it sucked because usually the guys always got their own rooms. Uh, I didn't mind it. it. To me, it was just like, yeah, okay, whatever, you know. It's actually a good thing. I didn't realize how much tipping I'd have to do, and I didn't show up with much money. <laughs> I'm not the kind of guy who can afford a cruise ship. Well, first of all, I got, I, we didn't quite get on the ship yet. We actually had to rush onto the ship. Um, that's right. I'm, you know, I'm remembering this wrong. Let me rephrase this. All the other cruise ships I did, I waited in line and had my luggage processed. In this case, our flight was late. We got into Jamaica. There was the uh, Jamaican, you know, people who were like singing and dancing at the airport like we were all tourists. And we're rushing like crazy to get through customs. And they go and stamp my passport and rush us through and we get in a van. And this guy rushes at like probably 50, 60, 80 miles an hour all the way around this side of probably a quarter of the island till we got to the cruise ship, which was late leaving, waiting for us. We got there. We got in. The captain just, you know, okayed us. We got everything loaded in through a door. And that was basically my first cruise ship. <laughs> we came in kind of like a gangplank. It was literally uh, the open port with nothing there except like a stair. And the captain was looking very impatient as we got on and, all I could do is just go along with the other guys. Um, Larry pretty much did a lot of talking. He was always very gregarious. He is always bigger than life. No matter where he goes, you know he's walked into a room. He knows how to be an entertainer, and he knows how to market his brand. He was very good at that. I always thought he uh, uh, <laughs> seemed like he was in charge, even though both him and Russ were in charge, and... Those two were, worked together for a long time before I'd showed up. They kind of had a love-hate relationship. It was really interesting. They worked together very well, and still they argued a lot. 
They were good friends and enemies. <laughs> and good guys. Uh, the first uh, show was probably um, that night we were leaving. Yeah, it was a long time ago. The first show was that night that we were leaving. So um, the rest of the cruise was basically just hanging out. Um, we were moving away. God, it couldn't have been the night we were leaving. I think they gave us a chance to pack in. I know that when we had the rehearsal that afternoon, we were being pushed sideways by the jets away from the port and ready to set sail. So we probably had stopped someplace. Um, and while we were rehearsing, the ship is rocking, and we were working with an eight-piece orchestra. The orchestra, of course, was sitting and mocking some of us who were having a hard time standing. Me more than other people. I hadn't got my sea legs left, you know, yet. But, you know, the other guys, they, they all done this before. Donnie Gushan was playing the, uh, um, he was playing the uh, keyboards at the time, and I was on bass. And he calls me over after the, the sound check and stuff, and he, or before the uh, rehearsal, because uh, we showed up a little early and make sure stuff is working. And he's like, dude, can you read music? Well, I've been teaching. I learned to read music to teach. I'd never needed it before that, so I knew the concept and how it worked. If you could figure out where your sharps and flats are, um, you knew where to start your scale, and that pretty much told you your major and minor scales, blah, blah, blah. So... Uh, in his particular case, uh, he was hidden. He was given some good piano music for this and uh, organ music, I think, too. So, and he's looking at this like, yeah, I don't know what the hell this stuff is. I can't read this. And I kind of looked at the first few notes, and then um, I kind of noticed the author of the band. It was Paul Schaefer, and I realized it was the David Letterman theme. So. Uh, my good ability to memorize music, and having heard that theme quite often, I was able to bluster my way through it. And he just thought I was like really able to sight read a music at the time because I could play back the Letterman theme on my head. So I told you how exactly how it was supposed to go, the feel for it, you know. And I'm pretending to read the music, you know. And I go, okay, good, you know. And he's like, wow, <laughs> that was a stupid thing to do in later reflection because uh, my next show with the band, I was promoted to keyboardist. So the night of the show comes, and um, we're doing two shows. And the first show uh, wasn't recorded, but a friend of mine, who a friend later on, this is the first time I met him was that show, Sparky, he recorded the second show, and I have it on tape. He recorded it digitally, by the way, and it's an excellent quality recording. He is a fantastic sound man. Uh, and he was able to mix the show to sound great for the cruise ship. And on the tape, it sounds like a great studio mix with a live audience. And was able to get the orchestra, get able to get the music, all the instruments. It was actually quite cool. And I had no problems playing and singing the parts. Now, I played Cherish like the original Wrecking Crew version, which means that when you get to the part where it's, you don't know how many times, I was able to play all the bass lines that were moving and walking because that's how the original recording goes. But you have to be a real bass player to be able to play that smoothly so that it doesn't sound jarring or out of context. It works in the original. It should be able to work on stage. But you do have to know how to play well enough to be able to do that. Luckily, my dad was a bass player, and I understood the concept. It is not like the guitar. It is an entirely different animal. You have to sync up with the drums. 
And my roommate for that show, Bruce, is probably the best drummer I've ever worked with. We like to call him the Atomic Clock. He's flawless. His time signatures are always excellent. Um, he remembers what he's told, even though there's always people arguing about that. He pretty much remembers and does them most of the time, and he also is pretty tough. I've seen him take a beating and have all kinds of medical issues, and he just comes up smiling and just keeps playing. One ship he was playing close to death. Uh, <laughs> we never noticed. He never missed a note, never missed a beat. The second show, I did make a mistake on the one that I was given a lead for. I was to share a lead with Along Comes Mary, which is the end song. And me and Donnie were supposed to both sing at the same time. Jim wasn't around, and I'm not a tenor. Paul was. I'm to sing tenor parts. At the time, I had four octaves to my voice, so I could do the tenors, but they sounded like a bass player singing tenor very hard and loud. They weren't soft like, you know, the dulcet tones of Jimmy or Jules. The uh, second time I did Along Comes Mary, I did the second half of the uh, second verse wrong, and it was a clash between the two voices. Um, but for some reason, rhythmically, there wasn't anything too far out of time, so it could be considered avant-garde. After the show, that was pretty much it. We did an autograph session with some of the other bands, I think, um, and I didn't say much. People were just, you know, were, I uh, saw that the picture had somebody else's face on it, so I just signed, you know, wherever. There was one incident, though before I sign off, where uh, I remember I was sitting in the library at the cruise ship. You know, Christmas had been going by. I think it was that maybe that Christmas day. And I'm often to see. I don't, I haven't been able to talk to my lovely wife or hear anything from home. And I couldn't afford to do anything really expensive. So I was just, you know, hanging out at the library and reading books. And as I'm sitting there, there are a group of women sitting down, and this one woman with quite the authority talks about how they pass bands from ship to ship. She saw the association come in when they went side to side with another ship, and they had just played a show on the previous ship. And I let her go on with authority for a little bit before interrupting, saying, I'm sorry, I was on the band, and we just came here straight from home. We're going home after this. We haven't played any other ships. And she's kind of like, oh, but the other ladies were kind of, oh, well, that's really nice. Oh, it's wonderful to meet you. You did a very good show, you know. And it was kind of cool. Um, and the rest of it was my going home. My going home was, of course, a terrible flight. I should have known it was going to be a terrible flight. As I'm walking down the gangplank, I slipped and fell on my ass halfway down. Of course, it was metal, and halfway down, it's kind of flimsy enough, so it absorbed some of the shock. And I just got up and went, whoops, and kept going. Uh, my flight home was in the middle of winter on American Airlines from Miami, one-shot flight straight to Seattle. And unfortunately, they'd given me the very last row of a McDonnell Douglas MD-80, and I've had no sleep. Because uh, I had to get up early and, you know, do the checkout and then go through processing and all the other stuff and then, you know, wait at the airport. And so I'm in the very back row that's non-reclinable between the jet engines of a McDonnell Douglas 80. And my connection I ended up not making because 
there was a hundred something mile an hour headwind or more, and it unfortunately tacked on an extra three hours flight time, which meant that we had to uh, land um, in Nebraska and refuel. And of course, there was no place we could go to a gate, so we were stuck on the plane while refueling, and then stuck on the tarmac while de-icing, and then stuck on the tarmac for another couple hours, and then stuck on the tarmac for another de-icing. And then finally, we were able to take off and finish the flight to Seattle, which uh, got there so late. And I'd said, my connection is, uh, I'm, I'm not going to make my connection. And everybody let me uh, run to the very front and run all the way down the hall. And all the way down the terminal, I ran, and I was huffing really hard. And I got there, and I missed my connection. So I rebooked and got home later and told my wife about it. And I think I brought home a shirt and a handbag. And at the time, I didn't think I'd be doing any more shows. I just thought it was really cool that I was able to do the one and hoped, you know, maybe uh, uh, my name will get passed around for job opportunities. That February, Larry called me up and said, would you like to uh, replace Donnie on keyboard permanently? I'll tell you about that on another show. <laughs> 